This week, we discuss what the role of a highly skilled, highly compensated support person would be. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. So, what's up this week, Tyler? Uh, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on how you set up ConvertKit, because I believe you said, okay, you have ricklinquist.com which is kind of your personal newsletter and stuff. And recently you went in and like tweaked how you like ask people to join your newsletter and all that stuff. And it, it sounds like it has worked, right? Like it in- so. increased your conversion rate. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's increased the conversion rate, uh, but I think it has. I, okay. Because I get more, I get more newsletter signups now. Yeah. Awesome. One thing I want to point out, ConvertKit gives you conversion rate numbers, which is awesome. Like if you don't want to fuck around with Google Analytics, you can go into ConvertKit. I don't know if you've looked at that at all. I did not know that. Are you talking about like on the forums page? Yeah. If you go to their forums, it'll be like, yeah, this many visitors and this, this percentage. It depends, of course, is it a pop-up, like how many people saw it and stuff. But oh, so, interesting. Okay. How, okay. Someone goes to ricklinquist.com. I think most people land on a specific article, not your homepage, because they're like Googling and whatever topic comes up. Yep. What do you do to, to try and get them to join your newsletter? There are two, two primary things that I do. Within embedded in each content is one or two forms. If it's a really long piece of content, I'll have two forms with a call to action of say, hey, would you like to get notes like this or articles like this once a week? Um, enter your email and it's in line, uh, in line form. Okay. So I want to pause there real quick. How do you, my understanding of how ConvertKit works is like you have to go and put the code where it should go in line. How do you, is this automatic or are you manually putting it in in a post if it's long? Uh, manually putting it. So I use Squarespace to host my site and they have a, what's called a code snippet that you can add uh, manually to each post. So it's really, this is what I really hate about Squarespace <laughs> is it's really difficult to create what, what I would call like a reusable module um, and just like put it on all the blog posts. So right now it's part, my I use the same form over and over and over again in each of my posts. Okay. This is, I wanted to do inline, but I was, I was just like, I don't really want to go and like decide where it goes on every post. I, I kind of want it automatic, but maybe I just need to get over that. But well, Webflow makes this easy. How? You can design it so that uh, within, you can put it around your, your blog content so that it's part of the blog template. But how does it decide like between this paragraph and that paragraph? Like I have oh, something at the bottom of the post yeah, that's automatic. Yeah, you have to do front, front or or the, you have to be at the beginning or the end if you take that approach. Okay, but with Squarespace, you're doing it in the middle because it's manual anyway. So why not? I'm not really doing it in the middle. I'm doing it at the end of the post. So okay. what I'm doing would be actually much easier to do in Webflow. Okay, cool. That That's what I'm doing in Webflow right now too. Um, and then what else? Uh, the other thing I do is that annoying pop-up for first-time visitors that after they've been on the site for some amount of seconds or I think scrolled 50% of the page, I think is when it triggers... And it triggers a, hey, would you like to join? And if they exit out of it, I don't do it again. Okay. Sounds like we ended up in pretty similar places. The, the thing is, for anyone who hasn't used ConvertKit, they have some some options. So it's what you just said. You can be percent of the page that you've scrolled down or number of seconds. And I just struggled so much with like what the right trigger is. Like I don't want to be annoying, but if someone has gotten value out of the blog post, it doesn't seem that invasive to ask. They also have the option of saying if it looks like the person's leaving the page, like if they move their mouse to the top corner, you can have it trigger. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like on scroll is the best. And generally, like I, if they didn't have a slide in when I was doing this. So I might, I'm looking at their options. They have four different form options. One is inline. I use mostly inline. One is modal. That's the second one I use, which flies in and takes up the whole screen. They they now have two other options. One is a slide in, so you can like have something a slide in on the bottom right. I think you use that, don't you? Well, I just changed it. I'll, I'll give my okay. explanation of why. Okay. But yes, I started with that one. And the fourth is a sticky bar, which means like it's on every page. There's always a way to sort of you know sign up at the top. Yeah. So I like the idea of a slide in, especially on desktop, because if the monitor is wide enough, 
uh, it slides and it doesn't cover any content. So you notice it, but it doesn't block anything. Unfortunately, uh, I love ConvertKit, but they really messed this one up, I think. Um, I got multiple complaints, only like two or three complaints, but it's a website that gets like 10 hits a day. So that's a pretty high percentage <laughs> of people complaining. That basically, it's not mobile compliant. Um, so like the, the slide-in thing just doesn't work on different screen sizes. And if the screen is short, the X button is at the top of it and it's just off the screen. You can't, so it's covering up content and you can't close it. Uh, I found if you use a dialogue, it's still not great in terms of mobile compatibility, but you can at least always close it. Wow. So I switched to modal. Wow. My modal, like my pop-up modal is where I get most of my subscriptions from. Yeah. I kind of found the thing at the bottom of the post has not been performing at all for me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, I did modal on 80. So I switched it earlier this week and it's only Tuesday, which I must've done this yesterday, I guess. Immediately. I normally get like one sign up per day. I got two, like almost immediately after I switched it. I think it was kind of a fluke, but it does, it didn't hurt, I guess. I'm doing it. If you scroll 85% of the way down. So basically like if you finish reading the post, I'm giving you a dialogue, a modal and, um, yeah, I don't know, but it sounds like we're, we're pretty, pretty similar in what we're doing here. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, try not to be annoying, but make sure people know they have like, once someone knows that they can subscribe to whatever you're offering and they understand you're offering, like there's not much more you can do. Yeah. Yeah. If you do move to Webflow, just one little, it's a little harder than you might think putting the thing at the bottom of the post. If you want to be able to control which call to action is at the bottom. Mm. Uh, I have like a little, I wrote a little custom JavaScript to get around that. So let me know if you ever hit that oh, limitation. Thanks. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> um, the other uh, update here. So you can probably tell I'm like tweaking less annoying business here. That's the site that has um, all this content. I also have been playing around with my newsletter format. Um, I think you and I both are pretty similar here with our newsletters where I want stuff that isn't available everywhere else. Like if someone follows me on Twitter and reads my newsletter, I don't want them to just be like, well, this is the same stuff I already saw. So I want something in the newsletter to be unique, but I don't want it to be so good that you're like, if you have really good content, you want it to be on your website. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've been playing around. I, I was listening to Nathan Barry's podcast and he, he was interviewing someone who does this, who basically puts like a link roundup in their newsletter. So I'm calling it cool shit on the internet. Uh, and basically it's just like anything I read, uh, I think mostly it'll be tweets. I'm just going to link to tweets, but like if I read a newsletter just anything like that, it's just another way to put some content in the newsletter that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. It's, it's curated content. Um, yeah. and what's cool about curated content is if you, especially if you aren't copying someone else's curated content, it's a really easy way to give sort of like a spit, like, first of all, like just your picks is unique in and of itself. But if you add a little bit of commentary to it, mm -hmm. it becomes a pretty, pretty unique. Yeah. Which I absolutely. So yeah, I, I shared something that is like a tweet that says, Hey, interns, ask your boss for help. It's literally their job. And then I left a comment that's like everyone I've ever hired, I've told them this and they don't do it. And here's some advice if you're new to your job. Yeah. The, the commentary. And it's so easy to write. It took me like maybe 10 minutes to throw together like three or four of these links. So and I, we'll I, that's to me, like, especially if you don't, I think what, what some people get wrong with that style of newsletter is they try, they, they, they bloat the page with it. If it's quickly scannable, it's not like dominating the newsletter and it's not like, okay, this is just too much. Like indie, like indie hackers newsletter. Did you mm -hmm. subscribe to that? I've seen it, but I, I'm not currently a subscriber. It's, it's really long. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, they are like right on the edge of. Like it's curated content. It's that type of newsletter. They're right on the edge of, is it too long, too much? Um, mm -hmm. And so it's like, if, as long as you can like skim it in like less than a minute and if you like and know what's in there and go, okay, I either want to say this for later, dive into it now or just move on. And I got some value out of the skim, then it's a winner. I think yeah. everyone's like got room for that in their life. I'm also putting it at the bottom. So that's it, smart. It's you're still probably right. Even if it's at the bottom, it might feel overwhelming. But I'm hoping people will be like, I don't care about this stuff. I'm just going to stop halfway through the newsletter. But you've been doing this for a while, I guess. Maybe not in like you, you've been doing it slightly differently. But it's pretty common for you to link to other people's stuff in your newsletter. Yes, totally. And I and, that, and I think that's a great idea. I think what the the newsletters that I get that I typically unsubscribe from are the ones that just have so much noise. It's like mm -hmm. I can't tell here. I can't count on this being low like effort for me to find this. Like I haven't seen your new newsletter format. I've got it flagged and I'll, t I'll give you <laughs> feedback on it. But like 
I, th- I have a feeling that I'll be able to quickly like go, okay, there's, there's some signal here. I don't need to work to yeah. decipher what's the signal. Something you, if, if you're considering making any adjustments to this. So uh, ConvertKit added a feature where if you paste a link to a tweet, it embeds the tweet in the email, which I think is cool because it kind of messes up the formatting, which I don't love, but people don't have to click on it to get value out of it. They can just see the tweet and be like, oh, it's like as if I were following interesting people, but I don't actually have to follow them. It'll just show up in the newsletter. So That's that's one piece of feedback I've gotten a lot of is, hey, can can you make it so that I can just read the post in the newsletter? Yeah. And I think that's if you're doing a single post or two posts maybe, and that's all your content, you can get away with that. But I got a little bit, I get a little worried about, I want something that's quickly browsable and if you want to dive in more, I like I like the way these Twitter uh, embedded tweets look. This good. Yeah, it looks good. I, I hear what the, the people who give you that feedback, I hear what they're saying. I think that's a relic of a time where like some websites are like, every time I write a new post, I'm going to send you the post. Mm-hmm. I hate it when I subscribe to that and it doesn't include the post. But that's not what you or I are doing. We're saying mm-hmm. here's the weekly update. Yes, it has links to stuff, but it, it's it's not just a notification that a new post was written. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. And then my final thing also related to less knowing business is I, we've been talking for a while about, I need to start writing content about customer service advice. And I just kind of was struggling for whatever reason, but I finally feel like I broke through that. I got my first post written and I'm working on my second now. So I feel like I'm, uh, I've got some momentum. Nice. I I'm so happy for this. I think, uh, I think this has a ton of potential. I can't, it's more of a gut feeling, but I, I, I really like it. It got, uh, like I posted a little tweet storm about it and it got a decent amount of engagement. So there, there's some people out there at least who <laughs> like the first, uh, insights or whatever. So, uh, anyway, what's going on with you? Well, you've got a comment in here is, uh, CS, oh, a right. okay abbreviation for customer service. In my experience, at least in the SaaS space, that means customer success. Customer success. Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. Let me, let me preface this. Yeah. Customer service is a very clunky, like linguistic thing. It's also oftentimes called support. Let's start there. Customer service versus support. What do you, what term do you use? Is there a difference between what they mean? Well, I mean, I think a customer service is a more generic umbrella term for serving your customer. Um, whereas customer support generally refers to supporting the use of the product. So I think more of like, like tech support, tech, like support versus yeah. The, the a more encompassing service, which service to me is like a, a customer service oftentimes includes when I look at it, the software too. But, um, you know, that that's, a, I think, very uh, a unique view. Yeah, but OK, but support kind of implies like, hey, I'm having a bug or how do I do this versus a more general like we're going to help you use the software. That's I, I think I agree with that. The problem is support's a nicer word. Like, I don't think you need to say customer support. You can just say support. You can't just say service. And I was writing this blog, and I don't want to switch back and forth, I don't think. I was writing this blog post, and using customer service fully written out, you know, it's in every other sentence. It just, like, ruins the the flow. And so I wanted to start, you know, the first time I would call it customer service and then, like, have some kind of abbreviation or something. I played around with CS. I agree with what you said earlier that, Normally, that doesn't mean customer service, but with context clues, I don't know. I like support. Just for everything. I should just use support. Yeah, especially if you you upfront say, here's what I mean by this. I think that's a great word. So walk through with me for a second. Like the main places is going to matter is let's say this turns into like a book or an ebook or a course or something like that. Support's going to be in the name. Like this is really a part of positioning. I don't want to like call it support or call it customer service and then use the word support everywhere or vice versa. I want to have a term. You don't think like that hurts the positioning of whatever I end up making? I don't. That's a loaded question. I don't want to. I don't have an answer for that. So potentially, yes, it does. But, you know, words pretty powerful. You can click control F support, replace, find, you know, find support, replace with service. I think it's a. I wouldn't worry too much about it now. I okay, so I'm maybe saying. I'll switch the existing post to use support. I'm interested, listeners, if any of you have like strong connotations with these words, because it'll matter. Yeah. But all right, on to you. Well, I have a customer service question. Um, this has something. So I'm super interested in what you're writing about with service. One thing that I think is a really interesting area is 
a few months, maybe a month ago, you sent me a, a clip from uh, my first million, and it was about from a guy, uh, a company called uh, Sentinel Security, and it, they talked about super services um, and how they take basically normal security guards who you hire as a service to walk around your property, and they basically use technology and uh, AI uh, and other uh, sort of uh, advances, technological advances to um, make them 10x more productive than they would be on their own. Um, I would assume that like a 20K security guard, 40K security guard can make 80K, something like that, uh, due to the efficiencies. They're able to uh, serve more people. They're more productive. Therefore, they should probably share in some of that earning power. And if I took that a little step further and said, okay, um, customer service, if I can make a customer service person 10x more productive, they should be able to make twice as much as money, right? Than a normal customer service person, or maybe three times as much as money. And and so I guess what this is kind of leading into a the the real question, which is where do, does a one hundred thousand dollar per year earning customer service rep exist? And what do they look like? So I guess I would call this a super customer service rep. I have so many thoughts here, like half finished, but I, I want to break what you just said into two pieces because you made a statement that I think is like not self-evident, which is that if you can make someone 10 times more effective, should they get two or three times as much? Um, I'm a big believer in sharing wealth with employees, but it's not clear. Let's say you have someone else at the company that's like your office manager. Should they get Two to three times, like at this point, you're basically just saying like, I want to pay you because the company's successful, not because I need to pay you that much. Like free market, like when McDonald's makes a change that makes their cashiers more efficient, they don't then pay the cashiers more to share it with them. I think one one hidden assumption in there for me is that the it's not the same. I don't think the traditional customer service rep, the per, that person can necessarily do the, the same. It's not the same job. So you probably need someone who is maybe a little bit differently skilled uh, to come into that role who may attract that type of earning power because of their skill set. I think maybe, maybe not. Like, I, I wouldn't, I, I would keep that as an option, but like, I bet with Sentinel, uh, whatever, the security thing you mentioned, it's not, I don't think they probably need an extra skilled person to do that. The point is, like, their whole point is you're sitting uh, like at your guard desk guarding something and nothing's happening 95% of the time. What if you could be at 20 guard desks at the same time, but it doesn't take a different skill set. Maybe that's not how it works. But what I hear that is what if you could do 20 X the work and the guy's like, well, do I get paid more? <laughs> you know? As, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So I just, there's sort of an assumption there that they're probably paying these security. They're probably hiring the best 10% yeah. of the security guards and paying them uh, a factor or two more. Cool. So let's dive into what this might look like. Yeah. But just I would just say, like, don't assume you have to pay them more necessarily, yeah. but maybe you should. Let's just, just here's the question I want to dive into. What does a one hundred thousand dollar earning super customer service rep look like? Yeah. So what we are their have, skills? What do their skill sets look like? We have customer service reps that make that much. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, but it's it's a seniority thing. Like they start at fifty five and get ten thousand dollar year raises. Eventually, they hit a hundred. Um, I, first of all, let me say this. I don't think the market, even for us, the market would demand this. Like this is like corporate socialism, basically, where we're, we're like, we want to pay everyone well. What, is, what do they look like? Like, yeah, what can they do? I mean, I f what are the skills like customer service where people do get paid a lot? Mm -hmm. Sales? Well, yeah, and I would ask another question, which is, are there other companies that are paying customer service reps 100K plus no. Outside of less annoying CRM. There are not. And this is actually something we struggle with is, so we pay, their starting salaries are different, but their terminal salaries are the same. Customer service and developers get paid the same. Problem is like a developer is still a better job at less annoying CRM because you can leave, you can quit this job and go get the same amount of money somewhere else. Customer service reps are kind of like weirdly, like they, they have no nowhere else to go with with the skill set they develop here, which we're, we've tried to think like, what do we do about that? But it's it's a hard problem. Um, no, they have I don't nowhere think... else to go uh, in terms of retaining their existing salary with yeah. their skill set. Right, they could go make okay. like forty thousand a year being a customer service rep someone or somewhere, or maybe they could like switch to customer success. But yeah, just, just to kind of throw a wrench in the question a little bit, 
what skills would those people need to develop to be able to replicate their salary in a, in a customer service position somewhere else? I don't think any company's paying. I mean, management, I think. Okay, management. So the man- but, ability but to manage people. But I don't people. even... I don't, I've, I've looked at, uh, it's hard to tell what salaries people get, but I've like gone on Glassdoor and stuff like that. I don't think a customer service manager or even like head of customer service at a lot of companies would be getting 120 a year, which is what, what we pay. Well, I thought, so I'm interested in this from a customer and it's a little bit different for me at like a pelt than it is at less knowing CRM, because if you want to differentiate between service and support, your, your guys are more in the support bucket. Uh, my people are going to be more in the service bucket because they are the the product in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it's like, okay, well, what does what what sort of if I were going to, you know, teach someone to be a hundred k earner, I was thinking about like, okay, who are the people who are in the most pain in terms of earning? And I thought about Michael's opportunity at Less Knowing CRM, and I think about like the awesome customer service positions that that you guys have at Less Knowing CRM. And then it's like, how many other people are in? And then I, I also experienced the people keep where we hired people from other firms, um, started them at a you know, basically minimum wage, and then they left 2x, 3x where they were making that much more yeah. um, after they learned some skills. So what, what like, if I, if I went, I, that's, a, if I could like replicate taking a customer, a, you know, frontline customer service rep and teaching them how to 3x their salary, what are the skills? That, that they would need to learn. And I got into sort of the no code space mm. and it's like, what, what makes a customer service rep super? Um, well, it's efficiency. Um, th- there's, there's first, a first, well, there's a first level of what, of skill, which is like empathy, writing skills, reading skills, speaking skills. And I think that, that my, my, my assumption is that probably less than CRM coaches check that box really strongly. Like yeah. they, they check that first level stuff. And I think a lot of customer service people aren't able to do those things. They aren't able to write. They aren't able to speak clearly. And they aren't able, most of them, are, I shouldn't say most, many of them are not able to empathize. Um, then it's maybe I mean, many like, of them are not even given the opportunity. It's unclear exactly. if, yeah. Totally, totally. Not, not even like, yeah, it's just due to the systems and the way that the, the customer service departments are run. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then it's like, okay, well, then you need to learn uh, leadership, uh, uh, t- management, um, or some sort of, uh, making other people, uh, more, more effective within the organization. Then it's like, okay, where do you go from there? And I, I immediately go to what if you like no coding and, and building things and automate automation. And I feel like that's happening. Right. I don't think that's, so what that is, is that's like our, we have 20% time where a customer service person can do you know, one day a week on something else, but it's not an extension of customer service. I don't think it's like saying you have an opportunity to grow a different set of skills. And I, I would break this down to, you have project work and process work. Project work is what most knowledge workers that are well-paid do, which is programming, marketing, whatever, like you're, you're moving from project to project process work, which is what customer service is, is like, We've got a process. You need to execute it. It's kind of like if this could be a machine doing it, it would be, but we can't do that yet. Um, I have a next thought here, but do you want to push back on that basic I actually framework? Really, I actually really like that framework because it seems like there's diminu- like it, there, there's a limit on what you can pay for process work, um, but project work could be worth an unlimited amount of money, depending on the value of the project. Right. Whereas process work is defined by the, by the output, which is probably limited by the process itself. And so, in th- yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And in theory, the process has to be repeatable. So like you might have a programmer, it's like, you're the only one who knows how to do this thing. You should not run a customer service team that way. Um, okay. So let's look at what are the highest paid process workers in the world. And three come to mind for me. Lawyers, doctors, and consultants. Do any others stand out? And actually, consultants, you could argue, are, are project. Like, certainly consultants take on projects, but I think, like, the success of a lot of consultants is their ability to, like, go sell, sell and whatever. Like, there's kind of a sales influence for, like, a partner at a consulting firm. Mm. Maybe are, that's are, less Those pure. are tough ones. I think all the, the examples you gave, there's a, an element of the service and the sale up front, but then the project work is actually pretty unique it's there's a lot of knowledge working happening not uh, for a doctor at least okay like a, um 
I, I'm not saying it doesn't require knowledge. A surgeon, but what you're saying, like a pediatrician meeting over and over again mm-hmm. with with uh, fam with with kids and and their parents. That's interesting. Um, now, I'm not saying you should teach your support reps to be doctors, but uh, that's one model. Yeah, lo- you're right that uh, like consultants, lawyers take on projects, but like. It's there are certain lawyers, and I actually think a lot of them where it's like, oh, I do contract law. Oh, you need an operating agreement? Cool, five hundred bucks, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, know? and then they take their template and they edit it for you. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, so I actually wonder if that type of legal project or consultants do the same thing, like a productized service as a consultant, which we've talked about before. I wonder if that's maybe a model to say, and and sorry, let me. I'm all over the place here, but at Less Knowing Serum, one of the ways we attract CRM coaches, our customer service people, is. We say, yeah, the job is it's a support role, but the, the best part of it is the demos. And what that is, is like a miniature consulting engagement. You don't start the demo with them asking questions. You start the demo with you asking questions. You say, tell me about your business. What are the problems you're facing? And so on. And then you figure out, okay, it's only an hour. It's not full on consulting, but we're going to like squeeze it in there. I wonder if there's a similarity that, that you can do at Leg Up Health. Yeah, interesting. I mean, that's, I mean, every, every client, I mean, every, most clients are going to have some form of that, um, yeah. where it's uh, discovery, uh, you know, g- you guided discovery by the, by the rep. And then, okay, based on what we've learned here, here are some recommendations. Yeah. That's supported by the software. Okay. That, that was interesting for our exercise. Um, it feels like what we're leaving here with is customer service reps, um, are sort of limited in terms of earning potential by the process that they repeat, um, and without an opportunity within that same role to either do project work to improve that process, they their their earning is probably capped at the process. So, unless you there's pay, enough difference, yeah. If if every customer is you can do wildly different stuff for, then they are consultants, right? Yeah, but it's still like if if they're working within the the role of like, hey, you're we're going to give you a unit and on the, on the other side of this, we want you to output a happy unit. Um, then at the end of the day, like how much that unit is paying for the, the product is like and okay. how many people they can serve times, how many people they can service in a given time period is the max that they could earn. So sorry to belabor this point, yeah. but let me, let me take that and riff off of it. The post that I wrote on my blog was like how to make customer service more efficient. It's to reduce waste not to cut costs. And what reducing waste means is the stuff that didn't help the customer. This is a slight twist on that, but what if you look at yourself and you say, okay, your customers are very, very happy with you, Rick. They think you're doing great. What if you, as a thought experiment, what can be automated? Like, oh, I made a video about this. I have a checklist about this. And what's left after that? What's the stuff that makes you better than a video? Maybe that's the area of opportunity for the super support person. Yeah, and that's and that's I think I think I I think we're ending up in the exact same place which is I think the 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 customer service rep with unlimited earning potential um, is the fit, kind of the 50-50 rep, 50% of the time their process work, 50% of the time their project work, and the project work they're doing, I don't know what the right ratio that, is, but some percent some not, Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah, yeah, so some 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 amount of the time that they're, you know, they're, they're being paid to make the, you know, improve, make themselves more effective at their job. Otherwise they're, they're leaning on other people to do that and probably not as, you know, valuable to the organization as they would be otherwise. That's not quite, I I agree with all that. If you can get your support people doing no code, awesome. But that's not quite what I meant when I said what's left for you. I don't mean the project stuff you're doing. What I mean is like when you're at a meeting with a client Imagine they watched the video and you had a checklist and stuff. You're still doing some magic on top of that. You're like hearing them and do you're like, oh, well, there's this weird regulation or like you're being creative. That's the stuff I'm talking about that a hundred K customer service person should be able to do. Yeah, of course. But that they, they, they are limited by the process. If they can't, as a person, individual, if they're at the company, they can't show up to work and make it like make more money in it. They can't, they, they can't, if they're not able to affect their effectiveness, yeah. um, they're not able to increase their earning potential, which is, which means like, I'm sorry, I can't help. Like in, in, in the context of this question, it's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Um, but you, you it's not what I'm, what I'm here kind of going back to your 20% time. You, in a way you are, get, whether your customer service reps actually use the time this way, 
they all have the the ability to do two things. They could use their twenty percent time to improve the process, like to work on improving their efficiency if they wanted to. They could. They can also. They also have an outlet to ref, to to bring opportunities for improvement to the rest of the company, to the customer service team, uh, and to the especially the product team to make themselves more efficient. Plus, they third they have sort of gar- this guarantee built into the to to the to the success of the company where it's like we we share in the success of the company but yeah, yeah that's which I think is, the yeah. most important thing for them is it's it's a break from first of all it's a break from customer service cuz process work is incredibly repetitive and project work is stressful in a different way but it's not like day to day it's stressful like if i don't get this project done in a month we won't be able to ship the thing we want to ship mm-hmm. but it's not like I just got yelled at, you know? And so it gives them a break. Plus it lets them develop new skills in the very, very early days. You have a million things you need help with. And there's a lot of opportunity. I will say as we've grown, like 20% work has kind of taken on a different, like, it's just not that, like, it doesn't make sense for you to have a team of 10 people splitting their time. You should have two teams of five people. Um, And when you're really small, it's great because it's like, oh, well, this Office management's only a 20% job, so that can be a 20% project. But like, if you had two full-time office managers worth of work, it wouldn't make sense to do that with 20% time anymore. That's a good point. But yeah, it's something to think about. And you know what the good news is? You're small. So maybe the first two, two or three people you hire, that works great. And then maybe eventually you're like, this is more of a lifestyle thing and it's there's not as much upside in it. Yeah, it's... Uh... At the end of the day, the biggest takeaway here for me is you're limited by the process you work in and how much that process outputs times the number of times you can do it in a time period. Mm-hmm. And if, unless you have an outlet of some kind uh, and a say in improving that throughput, you're capped. Yep. You're capped at the value you create, not necessarily yes. capped at the yeah. money you make. That, yeah. That's up to... At, at the place you are. Yeah. 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 Uh, cool. Interesting. Um, all right. You got a rant here or shout out? <laughs> it's kind of a both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a hev- I, I, I don't know when you introduced me to Notion, but we moved the podcast notes over to Notion uh, a few months ago, maybe a couple quarters ago, and I kind of liked it. So I moved my um, personal stuff over, and I do now. And now I do all my writing in it too. So my drafting, man, I had like I don't know 800 words that I cut from one notion page and was going to paste on another notion page, but I copied something else in between. And so I totally lost all of that content and I couldn't go back to history. So I was looking, I was history. I'm on the free plan of notion. Oh, to look at history, you've got to upgrade to a paid feature, you know, a paid plan. And so, man, I was like, Oh, oh, oh. so I get to lose. I either have to pay or lose my 800 words of like fully edited content. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pay. So, touche, Notion, you got me. <laughs> and, I, and it's like one of those things where it's like, man, I can't... I've been free writing on this for so long. I've gotten so much value out of it. I don't mm-hmm. feel bad about it. But it was like, I felt a little bit like like I was in a hostage situation for a minute. Yeah. There. Yeah, you want to upgrade because you're like, oh, this like there's this new feature I want to use. Not like I'm being penalized if I don't pay the money. Yeah, hostage is right. So you're going to upgrade to the $4 a month. Oh, plan, I already I did just so oh, I could get that okay. content right away because it was like right before I was going to post it. It was bad. Uh, so You can just downgrade now, again. I could, but I wouldn't pay for annual. And I was like, okay. it was one of those situations where you're like, okay, I feel bad that I'm not paying for this already. Yeah. How much I use it. I feel that, although they are like heavily venture funded now. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I'll let the investors cover it. Not, I mean, I pay, but that's because we have a team. Yep. Um, that's cool though. I mean, yeah, no, notion is my, uh, least favorite and most favorite software product. I think like I, I fucking hate so many things about it, but it's useful. That's a special place to be in Tyler's world. <laughs> <laughs> the the lo- most loved and most hated. Yeah. That means you're important. <laughs> um, my shout out for this week is, have you, I assume you've heard of savvy Cal. Mm. Oh yeah. Have you used it? No, I'm happy with Calendly. I mean, maybe, maybe I, are you going to tell me that I shouldn't be? Well, I'm curious, just like as a positioning standpoint, based on what the marketing Savvy Cal's done, like why do you think you might want to use it instead of Calendly? I don't. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, I guess so. Yeah, you so, don't have any thoughts on why you would? Well, I mean, if I don't have pain with Calendly, so it's it feels like one of those things where it's like, oh, I want to be part of the the trend that supports those guys on Twitter. 
that's a good reason to switch. So the reason I signed up for it originally was partially that, and I, you know, long term, I do plan on building appointment scheduling into Lesswing CRM, and I don't, I don't think this is like shitty. We're not going to be targeting the same customers at all, but it's like I want to, I want to use all the scheduling tools to get ideas. Uh, but I've recently realized like it, it really is is a different experience for me. So I want to really? give a little shout out. Yes, oh, and I would love to hear about this. Here's why. Okay, so Calendly is fine, and when I say Calendly. There are a million of these. We used to use a pointlet. Like every appointment scheduler is fine. If what you're doing is like, here's my uh, availabilities. I'm just sending the link. Like, for example, we send it to every customer when they sign up. We send them a link to book a time on a CRM coach's calendar. If it's like very the same thing every time systematized, Calendly is fine for that. What's so awesome to me about SavvyCal is you can, pers- well, two things. A, you can personalize each link. So I can be like, I'm talking to somebody. Uh, like if I'm doing recruiting, I'm doing a lot of these calls with people who are interested in applying. I send them a link where I pre-fill out their name. I suggest a few times for them. I kind of customize exactly what they're going to get instead of giving them the generic link. And even better for me is like even your main generic link, you can you can modify it beyond just what your calendar says. So like I needed to send the link out to someone today. And I went in and I was like, normally I have Tuesday blocked off, but I, this is a really important call. I'm going to unblock Tuesday. And they might need a nighttime because I'm not sure if they're busy during business hours. So I'm going to make Thursday from 7 to 9 available. And then I sent them that link. I don't think there's a good way to do that in Calendly. Yeah, I would totally just bypass the tool and just say, here are three options. Yeah, which is fine, but you kind of get the best of both worlds this way. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, that's interesting. I guess... Yeah. Said it, yeah. So Calendly, I for what I use it for, it works great. Right. But I have to work around it and do manual things probably more often than I realize. And I could be using a scheduler for more scheduling than I am. So what you're saying is SavvyCal get lets you use it more for more has more use cases basically. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. So like when I, I'll, I'll admit that when I first started using Calendly, I or sorry, when I first started using SavvyCal. I used it exactly like Calendly. I never customized my main link. But over time, as I got more comfortable with it, I never send my link out without just checking and just being like, oh, actually, like it says Thursday morning's available, but I would really like to leave that open because I know that I've got this other thing. Like I just always tweak it before I send the link out now. And it, it really does change things. So anyway, I, I recommend it. I will have to, that, that makes sense. Um, right now, I'm not doing a ton of meeting scheduling. I'm sort of in my own world, but as I move more to prospecting, the, I'm going to have to probably consider this because the Calendly thing works really well for customers saying, I need to book a call mm-hmm. and they have a place to go. It's great but I that. definitely do not use Calendly. I definitely work. I feel like I work around Calendly a lot. That's my word. I work around it. Um, mm-hmm. And the way I work around it is I look at my calendar and I give people options in an email. Yep. Cool. Um, all right. You want to do a listener question? Sure. Okay. I am going to play this. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Rick. Thanks for your podcast. I'm creating a SaaS for volunteer fire departments where the competition is mature but very legacy. The system is big, i.e. is likely the main software for a given department, if not the only software. The customer base is entrenched, low-tech, and hard to reach. I'm not sure if this is something you face or have faced early on, but as a solo founder, it's hard to navigate. I have competitor comparison pages for SEO and I put out content, but I've not found a good watering hole for discussions on problems to be solved. What techniques might you utilize to compete? Thank you. All right. That is from uh, Adam Jack, one of our listeners. Thanks for the great question, Adam. Um, any any initial reactions to this, Rick? Yeah. I wish I knew more about volunteer firefighting. I, I, uh, I don't know anything about it and that makes me have to fly up a little higher probably than I want to uh, with this question. But I guess that's probably where I would go first is who are these uh, users and where do they hang out? Um, do you know anything about the the space that he's serving? I don't, but uh, we chatted a little more on zip message. So he's, he submitted this through zip message and you can like text chat back and forth. So we did a little bit and uh, he pointed out and I think he's right. There's a lot of similarities between firefighters and my customers, like low-tech small businesses. And I think the problem comes down to, he used the term watering hole. Like, uh, this was a long time ago, but on this podcast, Rick, you and I have talked about this, where I was like, 
how do I figure out where small businesses are hanging out on the internet? And we talked and talked and talked. And I think our conclusion was just like, maybe they don't. Like as that group, firefighters certainly are on the internet, but are they on, are, are they on the internet in communities of other firefighters? It sounds like the answer is probably no. Hmm. Yeah, low tech people aren't on the internet. Well, they're on like Facebook, but they're just they're talking to their family and friends versus say those of us on Twitter, you know, Twitter's called the interest graph rather than the social graph. They're not doing business online. Yeah. Uh, whereas, they're probably not in a firefighter message board or whatever. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, like this feel like I'm going back to our conversation sort of piggybacking on that. One area we found that I think and that you've that you've sort of proven is that there is where you can find a overlap of people who want to use your software and people who might want to actually resell your software. The, mm-hmm. That's a really, really interesting space. Um, so I was, like for you, I think that was like the coach space yeah. um, or the uh, um, sort of aff- like the affiliate type people um, where, oh yeah, they could use the software, but they also maybe have customers that they want to introduce to your software. Does that exist with Vond? Are there, are there aggregators of I would want to find people who know have existing relationships with these people and can get me in there. That'd probably be where it, be where I would, uh, yeah, have a bias towards. Okay, I like that a lot. Let me riff off that. So one is just like, are there firefighter thought leaders? So like, you know, the Tony Robbins of firefighters. I don't know if that exists or not. Um, if it doesn't, like a more general one that I think works in any industry. And we did this. This is what Zane Benefits did back, like the first startup you and I worked at together. We sold software for uh, small businesses to use to administer health benefits. We sold it alongside health insurance. So we, we partnered with insurance agents who are already going into these companies and selling insurance. So what you could do is say, what else are fire departments buying? Um, you Obviously, not your, you don't want to go to the, your competitors, but there's probably other stuff like here's the hose vendor or here's like th- this company stocks the kitchens or whatever and say, hey, would you like to sell my product alongside what you're already doing and take a cut of it? Uh, that, that's an interesting affiliate model. Yeah, it's like, think of all the different people who might be talking to your target customer um, throughout a given week. Why and, and yeah, why are they talking to them? Maybe it's they're talking to them to give them advice, and that could be a thought leader. Maybe they're talking to them to uh, sell them something, like a hose like or su- supplies. Um, maybe they're doing training, which would be even mm-hmm. better. Um, th- those are the people maybe that you want to focus on first, develop relationships with, and sort of get in with. And, and if you can't figure that out, it seems like it's just it's it. In these situations, it's going. I mean, are there are there events uh, that these people are hanging out at uh, and doing probably training of some kind or continuing education? Can you be a booth at, at those places? Um, if there's not, a, but if there's not a watering hole like that, then man, it's like. Get a list, find a list of these people of these departments and start calling. Yeah, sell. Yeah. Yeah. Which honestly, probably as far as these things go, it's probably pretty easy to figure out where all the fire departments are and just like in the early days, you don't have to sell to everyone. Just go visit the ones nearby, probably. Yeah. That's where it's like volunteer firefighting. Is that like someone who works with the local fire departments or is this a completely separate independent institution? Oh, he said volunteer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's where it's like, I, that's I, an interesting question. Yeah. So, but that's the other, this brings up a whole other thing. I mean, firefighters, I believe are city or county employed. I'm not sure. Yeah. Normally. And so is there a way that, that's hard? I haven't sold through government to government before, but we, we tried a few times with school systems at Zane benefits, man, it was so complicated to try to figure out who was the decision maker. I assume Adam's already sold to some of these. So hopefully this isn't like a totally foreign uh, <laughs> market, but yeah. Yeah, well, is I, it, I but, but is it is it? Do you think it's the public entity that he's selling into, or is it some yeah, private entity that's doing the contracting? That would change a lot of things because I don't know anything about selling into a public entity, and that's that seems like it's a lot different than selling CRM software to you know small business. Yeah, true. Um, so I think that's all fair. Let's just maybe bounce around a few other ideas. Uh, so we've kind of talked affiliates, one category, just normal sales. Just call them, go 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 see them physically is one approach. Um, one thing that I think always is worth a shot is if, if you have competitors, which it sounds like he does in this case, look at what they're doing. Uh, are they doing paid ads? Are they going to conferences? You know, use your own judgment. It's not necessarily the case that what they're doing will work for you, but it's, it might give you some ideas. Yeah. Or see if you can't poach someone on 
you know, if mm. they've got if they're doing sales, hire someone with, that already has the relationships. That's true. Because from what he said, they're all very legacy. Probably you wouldn't want to work at one of those companies if you're interested in your long term uh, mm-hmm. career. Yeah. Another thing I'd say is like he mentioned SEO. Um, I think too many founders are afraid to target like Bofu uh, leads. So let's go through this again for people who forget what these terms mean. Tofu is top of funnel. That's you know people who maybe have experienced a problem, but they're not like they're not looking for what you're offering. Mofu's middle of funnel. Bofu's bottom of funnel. People who are like looking at you. Um. So. I, I mean, this is going to sound simplistic, but like if there's anyone looking for the software, you can almost definitely reach them with Google AdWords, R- regardless of what you do. You might overpay for it. I, we actually recently found out our Google AdWords just have not been working at all recently. But when you're getting started, sometimes you do have to overpay and then you can switch to something like word of mouth later. Yeah. Um. What are other... I just did a quick Google search for volunteer firefighter. It looks like the most of the jobs for volunteer firefighter positions are for the city, at least in Utah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is like selling to a city, man. That's 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 got to be different. That's that. Well, yeah. I want. I guess it depends what the software does. Yeah. Uh, but and, and, yes, if the buyer is a government entity, I agree. That's yeah, tough. that's that's tough. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like the competitive stuff. I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I mean. What about, uh, I mean, it feels like this might not be something that's searched for a lot. So I would probably, it feels, I mean, it seems like if it's, if it's a legacy business that people probably have a, a software that they're just like getting by with. So you're going to have to mar- have a pretty strong, like this is 10 X better pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means well, one question is, does, does every fire department or whatever already have one of these and you have to get them to switch? Or is it like only 10% have one and you can go after the other 90? Those are selling to people already using one yes. is very different from selling to new customers and they have different challenges. Yeah. So yeah, that would be an interesting, like sort of the way I might approach something like that. And this was something we dealt with at Zane Benefits where it was much easier for us to go into a company that did not offer benefits than one that did offer benefits because the switching costs were near zero to our product on the ones that didn't. And we were mm-hmm. heroes. Um, so one, one thing that, um, a, we actually, I learned this from a competitor, what they would do, uh, was they would pay a market research firm to telemarket to, um, each of, of, of these companies. And they would, they wouldn't try to sell them anything. They would just do market research and they would say, mm. Hey, who's the owner of this business? Oh, by the way, does this come, do you guys offer benefits? Yes or no. And if they said yes, they would find out when their renewal date was for the current benefits. Um, and if they said uh, no, they'd say, oh, go, cool. Have you ever looked into benefits and get a little bit of data on that? And that was it. It was a one minute phone call and they'd pay, we pay, they'd pay some amount of money per successful like record build hmm. uh, of each of these leads. And that's something you could look in. You could do yourself actually as a test is get a list of these and don't try to call and sell, but call and do market research. Like, hey, do you guys use anything for your volunteer firefighting? What do you use? And sort of profile each of these and you could get, uh, you know, if you did a hundred of them, you get a pretty good taste of like what percentage of these departments have something in place, who the who the competitor is they have installed, and then you can do much more targeted reach out later. Yeah, that's very interesting. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I have so many questions. We need to get better at listener questions because I should have asked a lot of these in advance, but I didn't realize them until we started talking. But yeah, that's it's a cool idea. Um, that pr- probably applies to most businesses. So I, I think it's kind of, if this is a small niche and you know who the, the potential people to sell to are, calling is almost always, I, I, I say this is some, I'm a hypocrite. I didn't do that and I wouldn't want to, but it seems like a good approach. I feel like for this buyer, man, I selling to a fire department within a city just seems really, really hard. I, you're going to have to, I feel like you need a relationship. It's a real, like, and so I kind of go back to Go look at what the competition's doing. They've probably figured this out, and it's it, it may it's probably going to be pretty. It's not going to be sort of waiting for people to find you. It's probably going to be more on the aggressive side. Yeah, I hate to yeah. say that because that's like the that's like not the it's not fu- necessarily what I'm would want to do. At least at first. So maybe my my closing thought here is I think most businesses. Uh, Jason Lemkin has a line for this that I'm going to butcher, but it's something like every business gets to a million dollars differently and they get from one to 10 the same way. Um, which is just, uh, don't focus on the specifics of that, but basically you just kind of have to hustle to get your first few customers. 
And then maybe at that point, word of mouth works better. Maybe you get some SEO, like SEO takes a long time, but maybe eventually it'll start working. But yeah, I did AdWords. That's one non-scalable, like overly expensive way to get your early customers. Sales is another way. I think cold email, like, I mean, that's a form of sales worked until recently. It seems like it's kind of like fading, but yeah, giving someone a call or stopping by, I assume you wouldn't make software for this industry if you didn't know people in it. Um, yeah. And the, I, I just did a couple of Google searches. Um, looks like there is a volunteer firefighter fund, uh, called the Fall- Fallen Heroes Foundation uh, that supports fi- firefighter families. There's a National Volunteer Fire Council. Um, this is reminding me one thing that we did at Zane Benefits was uh, we were targeting very small businesses. It was not practical for us to reach out to them directly. So we partnered with insurance agents. Um, and the way we found insurance agents wasn't to call up insurance agents. It was actually to join um, the National Association of Health Underwriters, not NAHU, which is a uh, a nonprofit entity that basically brings together all of these. And then we use that relationship to build relationships with agents who helped us build relationships with businesses. So there may be something uh, there where if you went to some of these, um, these associations that are built to support volunteer firefighting, the people that are there are trying to go after the same people as you, and you may be able to form some alliances. That sounds really similar to what, what has worked for us with uh, like coaches, business and life coaches. Because we like meet with one or two of them, but then they have their own conference and then we sponsor the conference and they they can then go up on stage and be like, I use this tool. You should all go sign, sign up for it right away. By the way, separate topic, but we, we've been having a lot more success with that uh, remotely, actually. Really? Prior to this, we were uh, going to in-person. I say we, I'm not doing any of this. This is all Alex, our biz dev guy, but he was going to conferences and we'd get a booth or whatever. But the thing is like, nobody's at a computer. So if you're selling like really high value stuff that involves a handshake and a conversation, like, you know, going and playing golf, like a conference is a great place to meet someone. It's a terrible place to get them to like go to a website and sign up for something. With these virtual conferences, everyone's at a computer already. Uh, so we've actually found getting people to convert is quite a bit more doable with these virtual ones. So yeah, anyway. And, sh- and final shout out to Adam. Um, I He recommended a brace that has for my ankle um, <laughs> that I really appreciate. And uh, it is actually... Uh, increased my, I'm rehabbing really fast from this ankle injury that I experienced three weeks ago. Thanks to that. Awesome. Good to hear it. Uh, any, any other thoughts before we call it? No, I think that's good. Uh, I'd be interested in see, seeing, uh, if this was helpful or not. Cool. I'm going to sign us off. Anything else you want to cover? Nope. I'm good. All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.